Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of After Further Review, our 10 a.m. version. Very early. John just got up four minutes ago. I actually did not get up until a couple of minutes after nine. See, that's really that's really great. And I knew I normally get up earlier, but the one day where I actually had something to do, this is so me, where I had something to do, I, I slept <laughs> in. But part of it was because I was up late last night and I was actually you know, reading a little, I was doing a little work for the show and I ended up going down the rabbit hole of watching OJ made in America. The first episode, it's easy to go down there, man. It is. That is such a good, that is such a well done piece of television. And and particularly the, for me, less so than the, the trial and all of that, which I so vividly remember. Um, it was a a lot of the early stuff about, uh, Northern yeah. and Southern, Southern California more, but Northern sure. Southern California at that period of time, the great migration out there for African-American African folks, what was going on um, then. And it's so funny to watch that uh, uh, UCLA USC game. And it looks so quaint because there, there are no decals on the helmets. They just wearing red helmets and gold. It's just, a, it's just bizarre to watch. Um, but yeah, I went down that rabbit hole last night and you know, you get that started and you can't turn it off. It's so well done. And no, it's such, no, no. And, he, and it's such a great yeah, piece, even if you're not a football fan. It's such a great – that whole documentary is such a great slice of Americana, for lack of a better term, about, you know, the journey that people made and what we what we do with celebrity and, um, and, and of course, the uh, – the judicial system, just interesting stuff. Well done. I applaud yeah. them, but that's why I got up uh, at 9.01, 59 minutes before the show. All right. So I wasn't that far off when I said four minutes. I was literally only 55 minutes off. Right. For, so, which for us is good Lord. It is. It's very, it's very pretty, pretty noteworthy, actually. So right. we're going to talk a little about the COVID issues in uh, college football and in Major League Baseball. Uh, leading the pack is uh, future bust Trevor Lawrence. Well, now, we'll about- I mean... You know, right? I think I think the writing's on the wall at this point in time. Obviously, there's. there's I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring that up in the past where I thought, you know, what I've he's heard, maybe a six round pick tops. He's pretty loose with the protocols, you know. So he. So we're gonna we're no, gonna certainly, talk about that. Certainly, we're all gonna, kidding aside, wish him the best. But it was shocking. Shocking. Yeah, it it is, and and it's you know at the moment at the moment, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. But Clemson's dodged a little bit of a bullet because uh, if if he would have. Uh, you know, if he would have tested positive on Sunday, I think they do Sunday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. Friday. If it would have been Sunday after the game, then every everyone on the team would have had to quarantine for two right. weeks. Right. So uh, that's very interesting. We'll talk about. Uh, we'll, we'll throw a bone to the World Series because I'm sure our Dodger fans that that are our fans for this show were very disappointed we didn't have a show on Wednesday, and that's yeah. all my fault that we didn't have a show on Wednesday. But they they lost their chance to crow the day after. They lost their chance to to just go off on, on John Pelkey because the second he, he, the second he went after the Dodger fan who posted Seager, I think the Dodgers. Yeah. They, they, they went, you know, eight and two, something like that. They just, I know rolled through the rest. The second I had Dodger fans who agreed with me, by the way, that, that I was not attacking Dodger fans or Corey Seager, for that matter, I was attacking crowing when your team is still four runs down because a guy had a good moment. Now, I'm yes. sorry. That's just 
That's, that's what we were trying. That's what you were trying to say. But uh, we've had people who were, uh, you know, transcribing the tapes, uh, the recordings, I should say. And uh, you actually said you hate the all Dodger fans. <laughs> well, I mean, that's At one point in time. So that's fine. I mean, really, what good American doesn't? And, and so do you. Level. Even the ones that you're friends. On you, a certain you, level, you hate them. You've got to leave a little room for embellishment. It's not like yeah. you can take the guy word for word. Come on. I now. see. Exactly. We've certainly learned that, haven't we, in yes. the last four years, that we of don't course. need to take everything word for word. Of course. So, uh, and then we're going to talk, uh, you know, it's fabulous football, fun Friday, family football with Derek Abbott. He's going to preview three good games. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, which is a big one. Uh, yeah. Miami, uh, Los Angeles, which, of course, uh, features the first start of Tua which I, a lot of people are talking about. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk uh, 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 the Bears-Saints, which I think is an interesting game because, boy, it, oh, boy, people jumped off that. They had one bad game against the Rams. and right. who's, by the way, a pretty good thoughts. football team. By the way, the Rams are a pretty good football team. I mean, I think they're a pretty good football team, but if you I ask know. certain Dolphin fans, they think they're overrated as well because they haven't beaten a good team. And... Um, you we know, don't even I, know what good teams we, – we, we barely know what good teams are right now. I know. So we'll talk about that. We have a fun show. Derek Abbott, it's always great to have him. We'll uh, talk to him uh, a little bit later. But first, let's do our first progressive trivia. It's a pretty easy one, Johnny. This is a more – it's kind of a morning. You know, you have your coffee and you feel good about doing the, the crossword puzzle early in the week. You know what I mean? When they're a little what? bit easier, what? even though this is the end of the week. Regardless. It, it has that vibe. So here we go. Average one playoff win for my first nine years as an NFL player, by the way. Led the league in passing yards twice. Led the league in completion percentage once and had 50-plus TDs in college, but only completed 52% of his passes. Average one playoff win a year for my first nine years. Mm. Led the league in passing yards twice. Led the league in completion percentage once and 50-plus TDs college but only completely 52 percent that first clue good for you that is that is a word jumble because you you wrap your head around what that's saying averaged one playoff win a year for my first nine years so essentially could have been one playoff win for nine straight years or two playoff wins every 2.25 years or perhaps three playoff wins (laughs) It literally tells you nothing. It is outstanding. That yep, is so great. great. But then, but that's what's so that, Jeff? Great. I said, let me check my calculator. Yep, John's right. <laughs> and I still don't know anything. Literally, I'm right about yeah. all the math, and I know nothing. That is the most perfect political debate answer ever because you included statistics. You sure. didn't really. The truth. You, you didn't really the, claim the truth is all over that. Yes. You claim anything like ideologically, whether or not that's good that he averaged one, but you, you, you threw it out there. It's all true. And it will help no one. I'm perfect. I, I you know what? I'm out. That's it. Mic drop. Let's go. The 10 a.m. show. We'll just end it right. Cause we are not. It's not going to get any way going to eclipse that. <laughs> this show. Used a lot of words to say nothing. <laughs> That's both. Uh, John and I have are very gifted. Sometimes that. I believe that you lose yourself in the exuberance of your own verbosity. I love that. I that's love what that you've done. Well. That's what you've done. That's so great. Well, I appreciate that, Johnny. That's that's nice. Gosh, I I I I don't think I've ever been complimented this much by John Pelkey this early in the day. I would say maybe in any day of our twenty-one years together. 
Uh, That's but, true, including birthdays and celebrations. Oh, of oh yeah, birth, birthdays. He goes after me. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Look at these people you outlived and why? Why? Look at what they did and you what didn't. Justice is that really? <laughs> so the arc of history bends towards justice. Not in your case, clearly. Evidently not, Ferreira. That's usually what I get from him. But uh, I just love the fact that now, uh, and and this just speaks to your competitive nature because you have a you have a competitive nature. We brought uh, this up, particularly in political debate, while several grain made beverages uh, have have violated your system uh but uh you you're you're now writing them because so that they are more nebulous because you're getting a little upset with people getting them in the first or second round aren't you well when i was writing it today because i i thought this is this is going to be pretty easy i uh i thought you know what i i need to give up that ghost i need to give up worrying about some sort of competitive scorecard sure. about how long you can leave someone on the on the branch hanging on, not getting it right? It's like, <laughs> really? Am I? Am this I game that, heavy? that we this game that we came up with that you don't actually win anything for. I don't like how it's trending. My God, is that is that literally uh, that that is the metaphor for you and I and the yeah. just absolute obsession with things that mean nothing things that will i'm we're still obsessed with the kennedy assassination i bought another book on it yesterday for god's sake uh sweet i love that and last night i told you as i I listened to the cbs broadcast of the kennedy assassination so i'm obsessed with that you know all these things rolling stones trivia for god's sake i mean all of this stuff that means nothing but boy i tell you if there was one thing that would like advance our career or oh no or we'll we'll just we'll skip over it we'll we'll either we'll we'll throw maybe this little tiny bone toward it at one point in time to kind of you know stave off the wolves in our lives saying what are you guys doing we'll do that every now and then but for the most part yeah we don't care we only care about things that don't matter. Oh, well, uh, speaking of things that don't matter, Trevor Lawrence. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you. Best segue ever. Best segue ever. My goodness. Why didn't they have him bubble wrapped in a in a in some sort of meat locker where they could, you know, toss communion wafers or whatever the hell he eats to him? Uh, and, and, you know, just to keep him. How do how does he? See, little, little tiny clues, little tiny clues come out about why you are so dismissive of Trevor Lawrence. And it all comes down to the fairy tale. Were you it both? I want to ask you both. Were you both? At, I'm not surprised people are coming down with it. It's, you know, it's going to happen. We've seen it in other college football. Wisconsin, like practically everyone who ever has seen a Wisconsin game came down with it. But were you as surprised as I was that you you essentially see the bell cow of college football right now? The, the, the most referenced name in college football had tested positive because I was I have to be honest I really was well I think I was but you know once the president of the United States gets it then any other big name after that yeah yeah, but I mean you could could see that coming you could see that coming because they've turned their nose up and you you saw it it, you saw situations where he was around people who were unmasked I'm not I'm not coming down on Trump with this really I'm just saying there was evidence there right that that was that that was a possibility we'd seen the Amy Comey Barrett thing where they didn't have masks and we knew that other people had tested so that was not terribly surprising um but frankly 
Trevor Lawrence means a lot more to Clemson than Donald Trump does to the United States right now for them. I mean, as far as, you know, if, if Trump, if something happened, God forbid, to a president, somebody else moves up. Trevor Lawrence is Clemson right now. So I'm just really shocked, quite frankly. Well, I really am. He has more eligibility. I think they did it on purpose. That's not a bad. Uh, honestly, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but he has said he even said uh, he, that he threw he, a little bone out the other day. Yeah, that he wasn't 100 percent sure he was ready. Right. And, and everybody, of course, saw that as he doesn't want to play for the Jets. Number one pick going to be to the Jets. I'm trending towards he went to a lot of maskless parties. See, I would if I were him, I'd rather go <laughs> to the Jets. I would rather he went to the he went to the the, uh, the the Delta Kappa Alpha sneeze party, actually, I believe, where only people who were sneezing were allowed into the party. No, honestly, I don't know why. Why wouldn't you want to play for the Jets? There's no expectation. You're going to make a, a trunk full of money every 20 minutes. They're going to just bring a million bucks in. It. And, and no one cares. You win four games and you're in the ring of honor. I know, but again, you you get that first contract, which isn't the big big money. It's always about the second contract sure. in the NFL. And if you have four years of pathetic performance because you have no line, you have no receivers, and you just look uh, yeah, horrible. can't people see past the you know they can't, they can't see past Sam Darnold's uh, miserable performance. They couldn't. I mean, pick a Jets quarterback, you know. Um, so I I think it's interesting. First of all, and you're in New got, York. By Clemson the way. got lucky because. They test on Sunday, Mondays, and Fridays, I think. And uh, he tested negative on Sunday. Yeah. And then he tested positive on Wednesday. Yeah. And, you know, there's a possibility maybe he wanted to follow in the footsteps of other great Jets quarterbacks, and he was walking around going, I want to kiss you. (laughs) Susie Colbert is cute, though. It was inappropriate behavior. Who could blame blame Joe Namath? Seriously. Yeah, and honestly, cameras aren't there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. You kidding me? She wouldn't be saying, uh, sorry, Joe. No, she'd be saying, you know, other things. Oh, my uh, God. That's so <laughs> Hashtag inappropriate. Well, well done, Mark. Good other Lord. things. Just other See? things. Now you're it's full of hubris because I gave you credit for something. Now it's all full of hubris. Now watch me just, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to, I won't, I'll have to retire from public life soon because I'll just say completely inappropriate things. But I think the thing is, is that they have very strict protocols during practice, especially for yeah. quarterbacks. So they kept away. But if they would, he would have tested Sunday, the whole team would have had to probably go into, or at least the offense would have had to go into uh, a two week quarantine. And it is curious as to how he got it. You're absolutely right. Uh, but they're, they're back up they're, they're, they're Clemson, John, yeah. their backup is, like I think they're going, they're going to, they're going to Chestnut Hill, right? They play Boston College in they, Boston they, College. They play Boston College, which is lucky as opposed to if playing Notre Dame, although I don't know. We still it's don't not, know how good Notre Dame is. And it's also not later in the year in Boston College when maybe the weather would get kind of sloppy. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's in, in a bad situation, a it's as fortunate as could possibly be as long as he tests uh, negative and no one else. And I've heard nothing about anyone else who might have been around him testing positive either. So no, they'll navigate I think, this. I think this backup, I think, passed for 10,000 yards in high school. I, he was very highly recruited. And, of course, he's the backup. It's it's what we talked about, how the rich get richer in college football and keep getting richer and richer and richer and richer. What if uh, What if he goes in and he just tears it up? Uh, yeah. Will Lawrence ever find his way back on the field? He won't. He won't. That'll be it. 25 I, years from now, you'll be at some sort of uh, opening of an auto zone in, in uh, South Carolina, and there will be six-foot, six-inch Trevor Lawrence, you know, probably at about three, three and a quarter at that point, you know, smoking unfiltered luckies. 
talking about, you know, how, how it could have been if he hadn't gotten the plague. That's it'll you know it'll be awfully I sad. It, it will be terribly very, sad. Very very sad in twenty forty five. I declare this auto zone open. <clears throat> Where's my check? I'm going to friendlies. Wow, wow. my goodness! I'm just saying, uh, you know, you know who, who people's lives can come apart like that. You can. They can. And then there's the Justin Turner thing. I'm which, sorry. You know. Take, I'm, take, My I'm going to say it right here. San Francisco Giants fans out there are, are take, saying it taints it taints the World Series. Oh, I take it away. Take I would take it away. Game should be played under forfeit. It should game should be forfeited. They should have to play another game. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. Justin Turner. You know, there they are. Play There's game seven of, without Justin Turner. It's three to three. Yeah, they no, they play just. They don't have to play with anybody who was around him. Should have to quarantine, and they should have to cobble right. together a team. With right. you know, like old, old uh, Dodgers Davey of the Lopes. past, Davy Lopes, Steve Sachs, the late Bob Welsh on the mound. Sure, sure. Willie Davis. Sure, absolutely. Maury Wills, I, who I don't know if he's alive either. Either I don't know. I don't know. Last time I saw Maury Wills, though, he looked like he probably steal like thirty bases. So you know, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, I, it's. First of all, two things, two things, two things was, yes, that it was the middle of the game when they found out that was initially we thought that would be the huge story. And then the fact that he just went back down on the field and celebrated with everybody, you know, again, the uh, the idea that this thing isn't dangerous is just uh, I I mean, I don't know what you do, but uh, Justin Turner proving to us exactly what we thought about Justin Turner. Because I know you don't, you don't, you don't care the cut for the cut of his jib, Mark. No, 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 not at all. No, oh, he's beard and locks. Yeah, and that all that red runners. beard is highly off-putting. And then his clutch yeah. play in the field is just annoying yeah. as hell. Yeah. Hey man, just I, annoying. That I, that play, I really loved you, an Outlander. Good lord. <laughs> Jesus, God Almighty! All right, all right. So enough COVID talk. It is our fabulous, fun family football Friday. Interesting game last night. Anybody yeah, else very- d- d- dial in to see it? I tell you what, uh, you know, you you always joke when they say, and I'm sorry to cut you off on this, Marv. You always joke when people go, you know, the the Atlanta Falcons are the best one in five team or whatever. Now watching them play a number of times, they're they're quite good offensively, and defensively, for whatever I don't think they're as bad as everyone thinks they are. You do really get a sense with that team, Mark, that coaching may have been at the bottom of why they weren't having success because those three games that they lost, ridiculous comeback games, they could have so easily. If one thing had broken, you know. Yeah. In the last couple of minutes of most of those games, it's it a game of inches, the as we always like to wow. say, the, the biggest cliche out there. And they are, you know, they're not that far from being a competitive team in that division. They're going to give people trouble. That. I wonder if they're going to give people trouble as we go through in that division where everybody else is now, and, and certainly Carolina in that division coming off a loss, but they've been playing quite well. Yeah. Uh, you wonder if Teddy Bridgewater hadn't taken the cheap shot, if, if maybe it had been another comeback loss. Uh, well, I'll tell you, John, uh, it remains the most interesting division in the it, National Football League. I don't disagree. So let's go back to our progressive before we bring in Derek Abbott, who will preview some of the best games of the weekend. And we'll give you our lots and shocks a little bit later. But first, let's go to progressive. Remind you of the first four clues. 
Averaged one playoff win a year for my first nine years. Could have taken the rest of the day off, according to John Palkey, because of that clue. Best clue ever. Led the league in passing yards twice. Led the league in completion percentage once. 50-plus TDs in college only completed, however, 52% of his passes. Next set of clues. These, these go a long way. Played with eight head coaches. Made the Pro Bowl with three different teams. 43 game-winning drives and 11-time Pro Bowlers. So that gives a lot better clue to who this guy could possibly be. But eight head wow. coaches, that surprised me. Eight head coaches. Goodness gracious. How about okay. that? All right. All right. Let's bring in Derek Abbott, who is the assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy. They, uh, they mic'd him up, John Pelkey, as he was talking about uh, his offense, the offensive line. Uh, running backs, and uh, just talking about his coaching style, co- talking about his team, talking about what it's like to do all this in the middle of COVID nineteen, and it looked pretty good. I think we've got a ri- I think we've got a rising TV star as well as head coach on our hands right now. What, what, what's the over under, John? When Derek just just abandons us and says, you know, you guys, just I need to shuck you off my shoulder because you're holding it's- me back. It's 10.23 a.m. I'm saying by 10.46, he's like, screw it. I'm out of here. Bunch of losers. Mark Daniels is Mark Daniels calling for him. I could do, I could I do, do local Orlando. Orlando radio and spend hours on UCF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be outstanding. Yeah. Break down, yeah, break down the nickel Friday. defense feel, of UCF. Pretty good? What was that said again? How's it going? How's it going today? You feeling pretty good this Friday morning? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, that Mike Dub stuff was uh, it was certainly interesting because I had to keep reminding myself that I had it on. And uh, it's funny. I went up to the camera guy and I told him, I said, I hope you guys got some sort of like bleeping mechanism um, because the coaching style for coaching the offensive line is significantly different than coaching quarterbacks. Um so it's it's certainly been interesting. It's been a ton of fun, but I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, played a couple of pranks on guys and really just enjoyed it. But yeah, like I said, it was just like oh oh, oh Mike, hold on, don't 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 say that. Go walk over there. I'm not trying to end up with a hashtag on Twitter. I always think it speaks well of coaches that forget their mic because they're you know mm-hmm. focused on what they do, and you see the guys. Who don't? There's great video of George Allen, the former Redskins and uh, Rams head coach, who was the most uh, superstitious guy ever and was yeah. convinced that the team was losing. And I think it was a preseason game and he was losing his flipping mind about it, but he could never get it out of his head. So kudos to you, Derek, because there were obviously periods where you went, I eh, probably ought to worry about coaching the team more than this. But a lot of guys get uh bunged up and it is always fun to listen to uh you know and i'm sure it'll be it's fun for matt ryan to go back and listen to himself telling todd Gurley a thousand times not to not to score a touchdown seconds before he scored a touchdown well listen if if there's someone spying on us here um at a military base we've got bigger issues than you know them trying to find out how we're running inside zone he's the head coach he's the head coach of the lebanese national team that guy i know he is (laughs) All right, so uh, let's first talk about Tua and uh, the hype around this first start. The Dolphins uh, with a surprising 3-3 and start. I think all of us would probably agree to that. Uh, The Rams, who are a little bit mercurial, I would would say. You know, we don't really have a handle on on what Rams team will show up. Uh, They're favored, Derek. How do you you think this game's going to go, and how do you think Tua's 
going to perform in his first start in the National Football League? Well, I think that the Rams have traveled pretty well this year. Um, going on the road from from West Coast to East Coast, I know that that's something that people always consider of, you know, the, the, the hours in between and the layover or the jet lag or all that stuff. But they've handled that pretty well. Um, so that's more of a tribute to their coaching staff and how they prepare. Um, I think defensively the Rams have drastically improved. Um, they brought over Brandon Staley from – he was with Chicago a couple of years ago when Chicago actually beat the Rams in Chicago on a right. cold, dreary Sunday night game, I believe. And it was really kind of the blueprint going forward to how to beat the Rams. So Sean McVay kind of said, okay, I'm going to bring the guy in that kind of figured us out uh, and see what he's doing. So you can kind of see the, the reinvention in their offense and their defense, and they're doing some really interesting stuff schematically. Um, with, with Aaron Donald and, and Brockers and, and moving guys around their base 314, um, similar up front style, at least the structure to how the Steelers play. Um, obviously, they don't have the same dudes on, on all 11, but the way that they're able to use, you know, some stunts and some twists and bringing pressure and getting Aaron Donald some one on one blocks, which breaking some of the rules of the offensive line. Um, I think you saw versus the Dallas game at one point, I don't believe it was Aaron Donald, I forget who it was, where they actually overloaded one side of the offensive line, forcing the backside guard all the way to the front side tackle to slide over to take care of the four or five rushers, or four rushers from that side were coming. Well, what did that do? That left a uh, rookie right tackle or, or whoever it was for Dallas on, on a defensive end, and he just peppered him and, and was just making a play on Prescott. So you're seeing some of those different things. Now, with Tua, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit of that of, of, you know, being able to stay in front of the Rams defense and not letting them dictate how the game is going to flow, making sure that you're seeing the right things. And while they're trying to disguise coverages and fronts and blitzes that you're still playing with in your own game, I think you're going to see a little bit more of the RPO stuff that we kind of touched on last week with the with the run pass option and I, I think that that is going to to help their pass game and their run game um, equally just for the sure fact that if they're throwing quick passes that frustrates a defensive line more than anything if you're only throwing six seven yard passes that pass rush never really fully gets going and those guys get tired because it's like I'm taking three steps and the ball gets out. I'm taking four steps and the ball gets out. I'm never getting close to him. So, and then now in the run game, now you can get a little bit of a push on your offensive line with those guys. So I can see the uptick in the RPOs and the quick passing game, making things defined for Tua. You've, you've kind of answered my question, Derek, but let's go ahead and continue to mind this because you're right. I watched them breaking down the, the Rams, how they disguise their pressure. And it's not as much about bringing extra guys as it – you not knowing the four guys who are coming and -hmm. they do a really, really terrific job with that Um, for Tua who has stood on the sidelines and watched, he's watched a lot of film. I I have to imagine never having played quarterback on a competitive level above boys club that reading a defense when you're actually out there doing it is still considerably different. So uh, the immovable object versus the, whatever that metaphor is, you, you have a, a guy in Tua who is athletic. The, the RPO stuff is, uh, is certainly well within his purveyance. And you have a defense that does a great job disguising themselves. If you're the offensive coordinator 
of the Dolphins. Do you want to do what we hear a lot about for rookie quarterbacks, which is just get a few really easy throws off to get him into a rhythm? Or do you come out in some way maybe and try some things they're not expecting? I would probably say get him into the game early and often. Um, getting him into throws. Obviously, the easy throws are that's what you want. You want to make things, like I said, defined reads, whether it's a high-low read, a flat read, a, a safety read, um, really kind of doing the homework for him and then him just keying one or two guys. But I'm all for getting him into the flow of the game because I think that there's some quarterbacks that want to be in complete control. And I think Tua is one of those quarterbacks. So when he's not in complete control, I don't believe that he's going to play as well. Just similar to what you see with Joe Burrow, too, that when Joe Burrow is in control of the offense, he plays a lot better. There's other guys that need the that need the, the handcuffs a little bit, need the training wheels, similar like a Jared Goff kind of needs the training wheels. I think some of these guys that come from offenses where you're the one that's making the line calls, you're the one that's dictating whether it's a run or a pass or making adjustments um, at the line of scrimmage, those are the guys that want the ball in their hands and complete control. So I think that that's something that um, if I'm a if I'm a coordinator, I'm, I'm letting Tua loose in this game and, and just letting him go play. That's very exciting to to talk about and to to see. I think it's going to be an exciting game to watch as well. But personnel wise, do the Dolphins match up well enough against the Rams to allow Tua to do the things that you've been talking about? Well, again back to to their defense personnel wise you know who's Jalen Ramsey going to take away whoever your number one receiver is on pretty much any team and a lot of that has to do with their front getting pressure right now so if if you have a if you have a defensive line that is playing at at a top level that really helps the back end because now maybe you can take a little bit more a few risks here and there you're able to see things a little bit better um so, and this is not a great defensive, or excuse me, offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. Um, so, this is something that, at least the matchup wise, that's where Miami needs to try and get around not having a great offensive line versus a arguably the best player in the NFL, regardless of position, um, trying to get the ball out of his hands immediately and get it out on the perimeter fast. Johnny, I just have one follow-up to that. Yeah. I, I would think, and certainly watching the 49ers against the Rams, you know, establishing a running game that works, that averages even three yards a carry, four yards a carry, certainly, mm-hmm. that gets that 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 gets that defensive line on their mm-hmm. heels a little bit. And mm-hmm. and I would think they're they're seventh in the run. The Rams are seventh in the uh, against the run in the so they're they're a top ten defense against the run in the NFL. But I would think establishing that and sticking to that is going to be the key to to a success frankly yep i mean is, wow. is it, it it seems very simple but does it go much beyond that Easy, easier said than done right yeah um just kind of look alluding to of, of reading things and understanding things in a first in your first game really for a quarterback you get two reads um you get the pre-snap read so you get the structure of the defense how many safeties where are they potentially sending pressure from defensive front alignment under over odd even all these different things and then you get the post snap uh read so that's where you get your safety rotation you get some fire zone blitzes you get sim pressures you get all these different things maybe a corner blitz so that's where the game 
like from a from a young quarterback's perspective, that's where the game needs to slow down. The pre-snap stuff. Now you see some amazing stuff in the NFL. I remember watching film. I mean, this is a little bit of the exception of a Troy Polamalu, where he would be up at the line of scrimmage, showing pressure, and then post-snap, he's running back and playing a, a deep third or a deep half. You just don't see that at the collegiate level because that's just superhero <laughs> Avenger-like plays that you just can't believe. I don't think people really know how fast and how violent the game is on the ground instead of just watching it on TV. Yeah, you don't have a lot of defensive linemen who can drop back in coverage in the uh, in collegiate football. No, yeah. It's so funny because um, one, my, my, one of my former coaches, um, he's, a, he's a coach in Orlando now, and he was – my coach for for LSU who was with the Rams prior and he said Aaron Donald could literally play any position if he wanted to that yeah. he could say he could line up at linebacker and be an all-pro linebacker like that's how just uniquely gifted this guy is even he said and even throw the ball if you want to go be probably go be a quarterback yeah, and what I saw too when they were when I was watching them break down the defense was it affects even when he isn't the primary rusher when they do that when they stunt where it looks like he's coming, he involves a couple of guys. It, 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 it the offensive linemen seem to have that split second where they can't believe he's not rushing, and then by the way, somebody else, some strong safety has now run past them. It, yeah. it, he is he's just a handful. All right, let's jump. Uh, we'll play in your ballpark for the last one, the Pittsburgh Baltimore game because that is that is something but let's jump to the saints and the bears a little bit um because having watched the bears the other night clearly you know still the the bears uh offensively limited what do you, both of these teams to me are ones i can't really quite get a i, I can't really quite get a handle on um so so break this one down how does this work out what what are the strengths and the weaknesses that you see uh in the saints and bears and how do they match up well, for the Bears, their their strength is clearly their defense. The reason why they're at the point in, in this season and even having a winning record right now is because of their defense, and it's almost in spite of their offense. Yeah, um, they are extremely limited on offense. Nick Foles not being athletic, um, he's not the quarterback that he was with Philadelphia a few years ago. He's almost a shell of it. Um, a little bit interesting was was the was the the interview. Um, with I forget who it was, where they were talking about how you know, he wasn't getting into plays and he just knew that it wasn't going to work in the huddle. So I don't know what that was about. That was a little bit interesting. Um, but their their defense is certainly going to carry them. If full struggles, you know, it's not like you can go back to Trubisky. You've already kind of burned that bridge. Yeah. Um, and, and Trubisky's, I mean, mentally probably just checked out. Um but for, for the Saints, I mean, not having – obviously not having Michael Thomas. He practiced yesterday, um, so I don't know if he's going to play. Or who knows, he might get traded in a big blockbuster deal, which which has been rumored, but I doubt happens. Because <laughs> of um, There's just they're, – they're very limited at the receiver spot, yet Drew Brees still threw for almost like, I think, 300 yards last week. They're finding ways to, to – to, to, to get to areas of the field with some of these young guys are good route runners. Um, they run digs, deep crossers and outs and timing stuff, really classic Drew Brees stuff um, that, you know, when it's third and eight, there's a pretty good chance he's throwing a dig route or a seam ball or, or a quick out that's going to be on timing. I know everybody's been critical of his arm, but he's still making all the throws that he needs to make. 
And their offense has never been one where they're going to push the ball down the field every play. I think right. people always think that. They think Drew Brees, he throws for all these yards. But that's not always the case. A lot of it is is, is yak plays, yards out to the catch. It's, it's crossers, it's digs, it's stuff where he's only throwing the ball 15 yards. He's splitting a zone. He's manipulating a defense. But then he's that receiver is going to pick up another 30 just running. Um, and then, obviously, Alvin Kamara is a huge piece of their offense. And I think everybody, you know, like, you can't pay a running back. You can't pay a running back. Well, he's not a true running back because they use him so right. much in the pass game. And essentially, their short run or their short passes become runs. In the same way that I was talking of, you frustrated a defensive line by these short little passes here and there to get them, you know, maybe maybe leaning a little bit and and not firing off as as much as the defensive line coach probably would like. But they're able to use some use Kamara in the pass game, which is just huge. And then whatever Taysom Hill is, nobody knows. <laughs> So Kamara is a, is a major weapon. I, I see that Thomas is still listed as questionable. I did see, to your point, Derek, that he was limited in practice yesterday. I think that's massive. I think if he plays and he's relatively healthy, I think this, this makes this game uh, a lot less competitive, if you ask me. Sanders, I think, is still out. Uh, what do the Bears have to do to limit the Saints? Because as you say, Breeze is still finding a way to complete 70% of his passes and win ball games through the air. Uh, how, how do the Bears, with their very good defense, how do they keep them off the field? And the big problem, to your point, is that the, the, the offense yeah. isn't going to help the defense out too much. They, they may have a bunch of three and outs where the defense just has to keep going in. So by the you know middle of the third quarter, they're pretty worn down. So what do they, what do they have to do well, to... I think the best way to stop Drew Brees is to keep Drew Brees off of the field. Um, right. So I think, you know, like what we were saying was the best uh, defense sometimes is your offense. Now, right. we know that they've been struggling with, with a lot of the things that they're doing. And, you know, they really only have one true weapon on offense with, with Allen Robinson, and that's pretty much it. Um, there's really no no major threat for, for a defensive coordinator to really worry about. But, I think stopping Drew Brees to begin with is, is forcing him to throw the ball deep down the field, getting them into late in the downs, whether it's third and you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, those really low percentage third down plays. Um, and then just really just trying to take away the short game. So maybe playing some more cover two stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of, of – for me, the most frustrating defense to go against was cover two man, where you essentially have two high safeties, and then everybody underneath of it is in man coverage. And then the corners and the defensive backs are going to play um, what we call trail technique, where they're just basically going to stay on the inside hip of the receiver and basically let the receiver win. But they're also able to jump out routes, dig routes. Some of the things that we were talking about that, that Breeze likes to throw um, it's extremely frustrating coverage. Really, the, the big knock on it is if you're playing a mobile quarterback and you get all your DB's backs turned, quarterback can take off and run. Well, I don't know that Drew Brees is going to take off and run. Um, <laughs> and you're able to get there with, with some of the pass rush guys like Khalil Mack. So I think that that's, that's really one component and really just forcing, forcing the Saints to throw the ball deep and take away some of those swing routes and angle routes and taking away Kamara. So maybe some bracket stuff as well on Kamara. 
It's according to the injury report, both Khalil Mack and Allen Robinson are uh, questionable for the game. If, they, if the Bears lost both of them, I, I don't think there's much uh, going to go on there. Uh, the, the one thing, though, uh, Derek, that I want to cover is the Saints defense is really good against the run. They're averaging less than nine, giving up less than 90 yards uh, per game running the ball. The question is with Chicago and that limited offense, do they have the pieces to sustain a running game of any sort? I don't think so. No, I mean, yeah. the best way to do that is, is kind of the short, quick game, pass game, using some yeah. play action, some boots um, to really make up for a lack of running game. So you got to yeah. be a little bit more creative of getting to those same spots um, on the field. Yeah, they're, they're 32nd. They're last in the league in rush the Bears. So it's, you know, you're right. They have to be creative offensively in the short passing game in the mm-hmm. high percentage stuff. Uh, sort of West Coast offense e, if you will, to to kind of uh, replace the run game since they don't have a run game and they're playing a defense that's good at it. So, we're going to get to your predictions of Miami, L.A., New Orleans, and Chicago in a second. But first, let's preview uh, the by far the best game of of uh, of the week, maybe even of the year. Um, it's interesting, Derek, that I looked at this. Teams that are more than three-point dogs, and what's Pittsburgh is, uh, three and a half. Three and a half. Uh, when they're undefeated this late in the season, have always lost. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And yet Pittsburgh defi- defies a lot of the, the trends usually. Lenny's not on the, on the call today or not on the show. He knows, uh, I don't know if it was week six through nine, that, that they've only lost one under Tomlin or whatever it is. They're almost and the other interest, interesting stat is that this is the 25th, 25th matchup between Harbaugh and Tomlin, and that is the most of any two coaches in, mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl era, which is 54 years. Too. So I, I think that's really fun as well. Yeah, it's 12 and 12, right? Wow. I believe it is. It's pretty it's incredible. Well, there you go. So this is twenty. This is the rubber game. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, what do you what do you think, Derek, about this game? Can Pittsburgh stop Lamar? Well, one, I think this game should be in prime time. <laughs> but you know, I'm biased. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that they can, and I think it, it's a blueprint that plays well into their hand. What other teams have done. Um, they have a great, you know, front front five, front six, really, with the Steelers, where you got two at Hayward, um, and, and then obviously Dupree and Watt, and, and some of the other guys that they fill in too. Um, I think that the Steelers are going to blitz a ton, and I think that they're going to have to play some man coverage behind and make make the receivers beat the corners in one on one matchups. Um, have Minka Fitzpatrick and, and what he's done kind of play in a robber uh, player. So what that means is essentially. Uh, you have the entire defense in a man cup. You have a, a high safety. So in their case, it would be Terrell Edmonds. He'd be the middle of the field player. And then you have Minka that kind of comes down into the box and really keys the quarterback and, and whatever else, whether it's a drag route or a dig route, he's your, he's your free player. He's a robber player. So the actually the pick six against Cleveland was one where he was a robber player, looked at the, the route patterns, the formations, the alignments, and then just key Baker Mayfield was able to jump around and pick it off. Um, I think that the Steelers' defense, that's the matchup is their defense versus uh, Baltimore's offense. Baltimore's offense hasn't been what it was um, last year. I think you're seeing the really the, the second act of, of this offense 
So when I'm saying second act, you know, people have film on it. So how do you adapt? How do you change? How, how what creative ways are you getting to the same plays that you you did before? So kind of what you saw with Sean McVay of how he kind of transformed from 11 personnel to 12. So how is Baltimore going to transform their offense? Um, like I said, I think that the Steelers are going to blitz and try and disrupt that mesh point. You know, they, they're going to run a lot of dive and a lot of different option stuff out of that backfield set um, that, that could give them problems. And then, like I said, not true rushing Lamar Jackson, more of a mud rush. So where you're collapsing the pocket from the inside and then you have Watt and Dupree to, to set the edge and really contain him and then force him to throw outside the numbers where he struggles just throwing outside the numbers on deep comebacks outs. He can do it. He's just at a less success rate of doing it. I, I want to ask you about Lamar because he's, he's taken a little bit of criticism this year. People thinking he might've plateaued a little bit or to your point, defenses have caught up a little bit. They have film on him. Um, he, he is, he is also their leading rusher, which I don't ever think is a, is necessarily a great thing for a team to have your quarterback as your leading rusher. When you watch Lamar, he's being, being accused at times of maybe taking off down the field when he could give the play a little bit longer to develop. What are you seeing from him? Are there mistakes that he's making or is it simply at what we said before the defenses are catching up with the offense in total? So I think it's a little bit of both of the defenses schematically getting Lamar into mistakes and in, in wrong reads. So their, their offense is built, is predicated off of the play action, off of some of like the jet action stuff and everything else. And then the, they're going to throw re, uh, crossers, seam balls. That's kind of the staple, especially to Mark Andrews, um, especially like in the red zone. So going back to Minka Fitzpatrick, you, should, you could see Minka – man-to-man on Mark Andrews, something similar that they did the year before. Um, but I think it's a little bit of both where, you know, you're struggling to to throw the, the outside ball because they're clawing up the middle of the field. You're taking away those crossers. You're dropping guys into zones where you didn't maybe anticipate them dropping them too. And then, like I said, you know, keeping him within the pocket and maybe allowing him to scramble but not run. Well, and, and Pittsburgh's defense is, I think, number one against the run right now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe, I think, fifth or sixth against the pass. So the, their defense is, is putting their offense in very good position through the course of this season. Because if you look at the statistics, Pittsburgh is in the top five or ten in points scored. Mm-hmm. But they're like in the 20s in yards. So obviously, yeah. they're getting short fields from the mm-hmm. defense and that's what's putting them in those kind of positions. Do you think there are some weaknesses in terms of sustainability and drives and consistency in uh, Roethlisberger's performance that they have to watch out for? Because I think it's a little mis- misleading, you know, like we just said, the point, how high they are in points scored, whereas really their offense isn't quite as efficient as it seems. And really, they should be higher just because of last week they left six points on the board at least with the two interceptions at the half and the one at the end of the game where those should be at least two field goals. So I think that the Tennessee game was a little bit misleading. I thought that the Steelers dominated throughout that entire game and Tennessee just was able to come back off of some turnovers and get momentum back. But going back to your point, um, it's not a gimmicky offense, but it is a, I believe I think they had like a 13 play drive 
that only went like, you know, whatever it was, 60 yards, and they chewed up clock. And a lot of that has to do with their short to intermediate passing game. Ben isn't throwing the ball down the field like he did when he had Antonio Brown and Mike Wallace. And he's throwing these little slant routes, some RPO stuff that I'm sure Matt Canada has had a, has had a big influence on. Um, you notice the uptick in some of the jet motions or even motioning with Claypool and running some different, I guess, not like I said, not gimmicky things because these are things that they do on a regular basis. Um, James Conner has been a pretty good battering ram, and Benny Snell has been a, a, a pretty good uh, number two back. Um, but sustainability throughout a drive, really that it comes down to Ben making – making throws on, on the third and eights, on the dig routes and the comebacks and, and really putting them in position to to continue a drive. You haven't seen a lot of, of Juju this year either. So Ben has been really, really spreading the ball around between Eric Ebron and Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Chase Claypool. So it's not just one guy for them. Um, I think this offense is still a little bit evolving. So I think that they're still trying to figure out, not figure out what they want to do, but they're still trying to work out maybe some kinks here and there. But primarily right now, it's just a short passing game for them. They have such a great roster at the Steelers, maybe the best roster. I mean, top to bottom, if you mm-hmm. look for weaknesses. The, the one guy who is taking some uh, criticism is Roethlisberger. Only four picks. Obviously, those two against Tennessee were very, very big, and to your point, in keeping Tennessee in the game, which is kind of what they do anyway. Um, but what are, you, what are you seeing from Ben? Because, uh, from again, people breaking him down that I've watched, it's not just about the interceptions, but some of the decision-making on where he's going with the football and uh, there is some discussion about him being a little bit jumpy in the pocket. What are you seeing from Ben at this point? He's always been a hard guy to me to really wrap around because he's got such he's got such a hybrid game in a bunch of different places. So what are you seeing from Ben this year? Well, I think there's a couple things. So Ben isn't the one that he was six years ago where he's going to scramble for seven, eight, nine seconds, make four guys bounce off of him and then throw a deep crosser down the field. That's not really who he is anymore. If you look at him, I mean, he almost just stands in the pocket while somebody bounces off of him and he throws the ball with a guy hanging off of his arm. Um, I think his arm still looks pretty good. Um, everybody, because he's so big in stature, I think everybody wants to put him in this way. He's got a huge arm and he's a power thrower. And he's really not a true power thrower. Um, he's more of a finesse thrower that, that is able to put the ball a lot of times wherever he wants. Um, I did say, you know, they are running a little bit more RPO stuff this year with some slants and um, some inside zone action stuff too. So that's been a little bit interesting. And he loves getting the ball out of his hand quick, especially this year, um, maybe just because he doesn't want to get hit, uh, maybe lengthen his career a little bit. But I think he's kind of being the point guard of this offense. He's just distributing the ball to the guys that are able to make plays in space. And I think for Baltimore, that's going to be a huge a huge uh, emphasis, I'm sure, this week in practice was tackling in space. Can we bring down Deontay Johnson in space? Can we bring down Juju in space? Um, so I think that those are some, some really key points of Ben just instead of, you know, throwing the ball on these deep digs and, and really just taking over a game. He's really just kind of evolved into a point guard. All right. That's a lot of fun. You know, he's in his 17th year, John. Isn't that amazing? It really is. I remember when he was drafted very, very well. Roethlisberger in his 17th year. That's just remarkable. 38 years old as well. All right. Let's do our, our predictions here. Let's start with uh, Bears Saints. Who do you like in that game? 
So yeah. this one was a little bit tough for me because I had, for whatever reason, I keep going back to, well, it's an outdoor game in Chicago in October. Could be windy, could have bad weather. I'm still going to take the Saints. Um, okay. But it's, it's I don't know, it just has something where it's just going to be a lot closer than I think people <laughs> think. All right, how about Miami against Los Angeles? I'm going to take the Rams. I think that they, like I said, that they've been playing pretty well traveling, so I don't know that that's been an issue. Um, first, first against first, the first. NFC East, though, I, I should I should point out that caveat. <laughs> but they historically have been pretty good going from yeah from they have. the East, and like I said, a lot of that has to do with coaching staff and and they're prepared uh, to play in those games. So I'm going to take the Rams. And how about Pitt Baltimore six and zero against five and one? Fun game. I, this one's going to be tough for me because I'm still waiting for that breakout game from Lamar. Um, and you know the the last year when they played them in Pittsburgh, they they took them to overtime with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Um, <laughs> the game at the end of the year didn't really matter. Lamar didn't even play. So, man, I hate taking the Steelers, but I'm going to take the Steelers. I almost feel like it's a kiss of death. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it comes down to, you know, we talked about those turnovers versus Tennessee. If if that happens versus Baltimore, I don't think Pittsburgh wins the game. I think they have to take no, the football. No, I, they, Ben has to keep the ball um, in, in the black and yellow hands because if it goes into Baltimore's hands, you're going to have some trouble. And really, like, the interception at the half was the one that I was texting my dad back and forth. And I'm like, this is this is to bite him. I know it is. It's going to come back to bite him. You can't just leave points on the board. The second interception, I didn't have as much of an issue with it because he was going for, he was going for throat. Um, it was a concept that they, actually the Titans that we talked last week, the three vertical concepts from a, mm-hmm. from a condensed set, they actually ran where the Titans plays. Tampa or Tennessee played what we call Tampa 2, two high safeties, and then the linebacker just carried Juju down the middle of the field and made a great play. Um, so it was, it was actually very reminiscent to the chase Claypool touchdown against Philadelphia that he ran straight down the middle of the field on a linebacker and he just beat the linebacker. So this time Tennessee's linebacker was just a little bit better than Philadelphia's Mm. because Philadelphia's linebacker is probably like the fourth string guy since everyone's hurt. (laughs) Absolutely. And by the way, I I don't know what, where you get off Derek saying that this should be the, the eight 20 game on Sunday night is a gargantuan matchup between the Eagles and the Cowboys, who, by the way, combined, don't have as many wins as either Baltimore or Pittsburgh. So thank God that's our uh, that's our 8 o'clock game. But, man, that's a, that's for first place in the NFC East, Derek. Come on. That thank has you. to be your as, – As much upheaval and people get so mad on social media about the littlest things, there should be a giant riot <laughs> at the NBC <laughs> headquarters to stop putting NFC East games on prime time games. You'd think they'd flex it. Maybe it's too early in the season to flex it out because Sunday. I, that's the that's the thing Sunday has going for them. They can always just, you know, listen, they, on on they can do anything. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good. I think they just they have to move around so many games because of what's going on. They just didn't do it. But to your point, Baltimore and Pittsburgh is the best rivalry in football and has been for a very long time. Yeah, it and should Tomlin. always be a primetime game. Tomlin against Harbaugh. That's just great. great. I, lo- I love the fact that they have uh, coached against each other more than any two coaches since the since the Super Bowl era began. All right, Derek Abbott, once again, assistant coach of the Coast Guard Academy, former college football QB and uh, analyst extraordinaire for After Further Review. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Have a good weekend. Thank, Thank you, guys.
All right, let's go to our third set of clues. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but uh, Derek's just great, brings so much knowledge. Let's go to our third set. Joe Connolly did get it right. Figured someone would with that second set of clues. Average one playoff win a year for my first nine years. Led the league in passing yards twice. Led the league in completion percentage once. 50-plus TDs. In college, only completed, however, 52% of his passes. Next set of clues. Played with eight head coaches. Made the Pro Bowl with three different teams. That's a pretty remarkable statistic. 43-game winning drives, 11-time Pro Bowler. And the last set of clues are, those are his playoff numbers, 5,800-plus yards, 40-plus touchdowns. Second-round pick, multiple MVPs, won a Super Bowl. Might, might as well just, yeah. should, we, should we wait? We'll wait. We'll, uh, wait. Well, let's just give it. A, well, you know what? No, let's let's let it sit for a minute because there might be people who listen to the podcast. The podcast. Are there actually people who listen to the podcast? I believe, I, I, I believe there I are. Confirmed or I, deny. Okay. I haven't looked at the analytics lately, but I believe there are. Okay. It, um, it, I, I tell All you right. <laughs> So I tell you, Mark, I I, I just want to jump back to this this NFC East thing. Um, I believe uh, they should be considered for the college football playoff. I believe the winner of the NFC should be considered for the college football for a fourth team because you know we're talking about it. We were talking about how really it's Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. Why not the the last place finisher in the NFC East? Just to forever end that discussion that we have. Every other year, oh, the best team in there. I tell you, Alabama's got seven guys are going to go to the NFL. Do you know how many guys on the Jets are going to go to the NFL? All of them. So that's my, that is what I believe should happen. The last, not the first place finisher, because who cares? The last place finisher in the NFC East should be the fourth team in the college football playoff. All right. There it is. Got the Giants against. The uh, Crimson Tide. I love it. You, take, I, I, you know, would it be a double? Would they be double digit dogs with the oh, Crimson yeah. Tide? I think that's the biggest question. Would they oh, be double digit dogs? Be double digit. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I love uh, that point. It's like Alabama has eight guys going to the NFL while the Giants have 55. <laughs> it's like you, you do know that every single guy on is the Jets, in the NFL. <laughs> They may not be playing like it, but they and are yeah, in the may NFL. not appear that way on Sundays, but it is in fact true. All right, oh, let's get Lord. to our locks and shocks. Banking off of all that information that Derek uh, Derek Abbott gave us, uh, do you have a shock you can give us right off the top, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my shock for this week is that I actually believe that uh, Tennessee will lose to Cincinnati at Cincinnati. You love you love uh, the questionable road favorites. I do questionable road favorites, and uh, and I do believe in Tennessee, but I think there's going to be a little hangover after a difficult loss. Um, uh, and I one. think and I think what we've seen is that you know Burrow is is has played quite well offensively. They can do some things, um, and for for whatever reason, as I looked at the questionable road favorites, Mark, that was the one that that jumped up to me. Uh, I I. I you know, New Orleans and Chicago, uh, to, to Derek's point, it's it's a difficult call because I don't – I think I've seen less of New Orleans than any other team since week one, so I don't really have a good handle on that. But, uh, but yeah, uh, that's, that's the to me, the questionable road favorite, and that will be my pick. All right. We, I, we, I, sorry about this, uh, Joe Connolly. I forgot to ask Derek about if the Chiefs cover 19.5 points against the Jets. Joe Connolly thinks they do easily three touchdowns. I, that question. I also believe that they easily cover that. I'm surprised yeah. that's not double 
Yeah. Wow. 38, 39 points. Yeah, that might be a big, that's a big number. That's a big number. Uh, My shock. I think this is going to be an anti chalk weekend. Um, And um, I do, I think there's going to be a lot of upsets. I think Pittsburgh could, could upset Baltimore. I think uh, Miami could upset the Rams. I think Vegas could upset. um, I don't even, I forget who they're playing, who the Raiders Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland. I think, I I think think that's one that they, you know, I think uh, Dallas might cover. I mean, might get you know, might they're get, you're giving nine and a half points to Dallas. That and and that and the the teams in that division. I mean, where is it? And I agree with you. I think Detroit could beat Indianapolis. Yeah, as Indianapolis well, is as a easily. questionable road favorite. I think this is you know, and and if if you're superstitious, and I probably shouldn't say this, but the uh, pretty much everything's gone according to chalk, right, mm-hmm. in the sports world thus far, and yeah. um, and. You know, and that if you're if you're rooting for a candidate who has been in the lead the whole time, then you like everything going chalk. Mm. But if you're rooting for a candidate who's, you know, but the weekend before the election, I think is going to be an anti chalk weekend. And I uh, will see if that bodes well or not. And I I don't know how it at all relates, but that's just me being weird. Um, It doesn't. I think I think uh, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go ahead with Miami. I'm going to go with Miami beating the Rams. Uh, I would like to see it. I have a lot of uh, faith in Brian Flores. I like what I've seen from Miami culturally as well as uh, on the field. I think as an organization, they seem to be making the right moves in a row more than I have seen in, I don't know, 30 years with this team. And uh, I'm going to go with that. But I could go with Pittsburgh. I could go with Dallas. I could go with I could go with uh, Detroit. I could go with Vegas. I you know I could go with Pittsburgh. I I think it's going to be one of those weekends. But I'm going to go ahead and put my hat uh, in the ring with Miami. Who's your lock, Johnny? Uh, my lock is Tampa Bay over the Giants, and it's ten and a half. And I say they'll beat them by more than that. I think I think the Bucks are are coming together. Yeah. They're better. I think they're going to be better than I thought they were going to be. Um, yeah, yeah. I we'll think, see. I if, think frankly, right? Yeah. I think they're maybe the best team in the NFC at the moment to tell you, you know, and, and, it, and really this, this year, as many as any, that's really fluctuated from week to week. We haven't seen teams, you know, we thought early on that it was green Bay and they look like the most complete, but, but I think on both sides of the football uh, at this point, yeah, I agree with you. Um, and if they, if they do indeed, the Antonio Brown thing works out for them. Yeah. Because um, their defense is very stout. You know, and and everyone is rising to the level of Tom Brady. That's the thing. That's what great players do. They're not they're not only great themselves, but they make the players around them great. And that's what Tom Brady is doing. Uh, my shock is Seattle. Think about this. Uh, Jeff Wilson had over 100 yards last week at 100, 125 yards in that, you know, blowout win against the Patriots. Hey, can I ask out- you a question real quick, real quick? Because you said your shock. I thought your shock was. I meant lock. Uh, you're like, okay, lock. okay. All right. I was like, holy hell. He's picking the Niners to upset Seattle. No, no chance in hell. Not at all. Wilson is out. Debo Samuel, who is a huge part of that offense, is out. Yeah. Uh, they just have been bitten by such a horrible injury. It's like just not letting up all year long. Yeah. 
and and that's the thing. That's how you beat Seattle is you stay on the field. The Niners can generate very, very long, time-consuming drives, right. especially when that running game is, is firing on all cylinders. And that's the only way you can beat Russell Wilson. Yeah. And um, I, I think they're not going to be as efficient as they have been against the Rams or against the New England Patriots. So I'm, uh, I think that's a lock that they cover. And it's in the Cheater points. Dome. It is so, in the Cheater Dome. I don't think anyone's allowed in the Cheater Dome, thank goodness. Well, they're just pumping in louder music. You know that. Louder than yeah, any other stadium. I'm sure they are. It's the Cheater Dome. Why wouldn't they? By definition, yes. they're going to do that. All right. So let's go ahead and give the progressive answer, as if we all don't already know it. Average one playoff win a year for my first nine years. Didn't win a game for his first, uh, I think, three. Didn't win a game that last ninth year, but... Uh, Won a lot in the interim. Led the league in passing yards twice only. Led the league in completion percentage once, 50-plus TDs in college. Only completed 52% of his passes. He has played for eight head coaches, which is a lot. Made Boy, that's a yeah, with three different teams, Minnesota, New York, and Green Bay. 43 great game-winning drives, 11-time Pro Bowl. You look at his statistics, it's like he has these clusters of Pro Bowl selections. Yeah. You know, they're they're three in a row, and then there's four years off, and then there's another three in a row, and then there's. <laughs> I know, didn't know, frankly, I didn't know that he went to the Pro Bowl as a Jet. That that how, threw me how off. About that, that threw me off really because just that, people forget about that year, frankly, yeah. at times. Yeah, it was a big no, it was surprising. a big year for him. Made the Pro Bowl, unbelievable. And then uh, last set of clues, of course, are uh, fifty eight hundred plus yards, forty plus TDs, second round draft pick by the Atlanta Falcons, multiple MVPs, won, I think, three in a row, if I'm not mistaken. He's, he's won three, I believe. Won a Super Bowl. He is the great Hall of Famer, Brett Favre. Brett Favre. There he is. Yep. There he is. Joe Connolly yep. got it right early That's on. A good one. Second, uh, second set of clues. I, so have, people, I have a signature on a Falcons pennant. Nice. Ooh. That's a good one. I was, I was at spring, uh, their, uh, is it spring practice? Uh, yeah, right. They, their fall practices, whenever, before the season, training when he camp. had been drafted. Yeah, their training camps. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. He must have been a youngin' back then, 91. He told me that he was one of the medical staff, but I'd already, <laughs> he, he had, he had played in the preseason game the weekend before and, and played well enough for me to recognize the guy because they were showing him on the sideline. Yeah. And uh, so I got a signature on the pennant with many more Falcons at that time. Did you get Jerry Glanville? I did. Uh, I got a picture with Jerry Glanville in front of the, that was at the Falcon Inn uh, outside of Atlanta. And uh, the the lobby of the Falcon Inn had a, uh, a mosaic tile picture of Jerry Glanville and his <laughs> patented outfit standing in front of a Harley. And I have a picture of me and of Jerry Glanville in front of that mosaic tile He's still alive, Jerry Glanville. Deion Sanders was on that team as well. I got his signature. and yeah. uh, got a Falcon Inn's an interesting place, Mark, because uh, checkout time is uh, 11 a.m., but at uh, 1040, they actually get you and they drag you out of the room. So, you know, that, that last 20 wow. minutes is just a nightmare. Hello. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Stay at the Falcon Inn. I'll be here all week. Can I get another pop? <laughs> Must be noon somewhere. All right, let's do a little uh, – let's throw a bone to the World Series. Uh, the only thing I have to say about it is that the Dodgers were the best team all year. Yep. One of their best teams probably in history, although there was only 60 games. Uh, lots of people want to put asterisks on this season. Most of them are from Northern California. Yep. And um, I, I will say this, that I've had it. 
I have always been a fan of the Moneyball analytics kind of approach to things. I really have. I think it, it yeah. adds a very interesting element to the game. And I think, obviously, with everything, there's there's a place where you can go too far. Yeah. Um, this was beyond going too far. This was ridiculous. He had given up two hits in five and a third. He was in the sixth Blake inning. Snell. He had yeah. given up two hits, Blake Snell. He had struck out nine rays. Yeah. Yeah, he's the third time through the lineup. He'd given up two hits. It was a bad. It was it was a bad move. He went with his gut, and it was a bad he, move. It, he lost it, the it, world. Well, I don't think he went with his gut. I think he went with the with the num with the analytics. That's yeah. The all right. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, he did say, you know, yeah. Okay. To your point, he went with, but he he made a decision. I, I, I it's it's indefensible. I don't it, and it's bad because it didn't work. Had it worked, obviously, you know, that's. That's the Always one the thing case. that a manager. That's the one thing that a manager can expose themselves to criticism for is uh, the handling of a pitching staff. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get it either. Blake Snell didn't get it. I don't think a lot of people got it. Um, but they were still in it. Still there in the end, within a couple of runs. I mean, that team is is gutty. And I'll say this to Dodger fans: if somebody came in, the Dodgers are the team of the decade. And it's like, mm, okay, yeah, but honestly, you got to win another one in my mind before it can be talked about as. You know, because what they've done isn't as amazing as what the Atlanta Braves did. Wait, the when decade it, of the 2010s? Yeah, just the last decade. It doesn't have to necessarily fit into the, you know, the 20. It, it's the, they're the people saying, you know, now they've solidified themselves as the team, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Um, and I, I just, you, you, you've got to win another one in my mind uh, before you can even be considered among the greats of all time. So there you go. You have to. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that the Astros over the last five years are a better team than, than the, than the Dodgers. I think Uh, you can too. And certainly in the 2010s, there was a team that won three world series. Dodgers only won one. Right. So, um, uh, that, that, that would get me fired up. I'd have a argument about that one, about the team of the decade. I will say it's one of the best Dodger teams I've ever seen. If not the best, I mean, up and down the lineup, they're good. The best teams of Dodger history. And they They're haven't good. been stacked like this. So it's uh, pretty phenomenal. We give them a lot of credit, but at the same time. That's it. That's all we're giving them. We're giving them a lot of credit. Whatever. $100 million, $100 million more to, to, to beat a team. You yeah. Know, by two it runs. Was, and, $100 million more. $100, $100 million more. That's what it took. That's what it money took. Poorly, money poorly spent. All right. I've got, I've got to actually get to work, John. Okay, Mark. How about that? Good for you. I'll never get to work again. I was among the 720 Disney employees who were given their termination letters among us. So, you know, thoughts going out to all of those folks who uh, Disney will no longer have live entertainment, just restaurants and rides. That's what it's called now. It's no longer Disney's Hollywood studio. It's Disney's restaurants and rides and then buy stuff. Parenthetically. Restaurants, rides and buy stuff. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. All right. So for Johnny, for Jeff, for Derek Abbott, I'm Mark. You guys have been listening to After Further Review. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your football. Fabulous. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, we, we wish you the best. Sixth round. Sixth round.